You are listening to Subtle Disruptors Melbourne. This is the first series of the podcast, Subtle Disruptors, telling the stories of those who are quietly having an amazing, positive impact on their city and the world. I could give you a hundred excuses why I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing, yeah. you know? <laughs> but I think that there comes a point in, a, a point in life where you just, you just overcome some stuff and where you see, you see the outcome of your dreams, which is helping people more important than your personal fears there are excuses i draw upon from time to time particularly when i'm feeling down or when i'm feeling stuck stories and fears that keep me still rather than moving forward i think to an extent this is the journey many of us go through confronting our fears and finding a way to move through them my guest for this week certainly has access to a full kit bag of excuses if he chose to delve into it And while he may have in the past, and probably still is tempted to from time to time, he has found a way to turn his struggles into a life-bringing work. I'm Adam Murray, and thanks for joining me as I talk with Eric Argerman about the subtle disruption of a traumatic past. Eric, really nice to have met you. Uh, I've spoken on the phone a couple of times, but great to meet you for the first time. Yeah, likewise. Where have you chosen for our conversation today? I've chosen uh, Farm Vigano um, today for our location. And uh, it's it's actually uh, quite close to where I live, so I come here quite a bit. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful place. Uh, I'm not sure if, it, if you had a chance to look around yet, but it's uh, it's quite nice surroundings. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's pretty amazing surroundings. It's a wet day. Yeah. we're out in South Morang, which is that's right, northeast out of northeast suburb of Melbourne. Yeah, 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 northwest. Maybe. Northwest? Yeah, yeah northwest. Okay. Yeah, northeast, northwest. northwest. North, north anyway. <laughs> it's north. And it's, we're in pretty big surrounds. We're in a cafe right now, but yeah. there's quite a bit going on here by the look of it. Yeah, yeah, there is. There is. So, I mean, in terms of the complex, they use it for, uh, for a host of different things. So, there's actually a reception upstairs and downstairs, which is okay. pretty cool. Yeah. So, especially like in the evenings when you come here, there's, there's a lot happening. Yeah. Um, there's also tennis courts around the back as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, just, just the scenic views, really. Like, it's just, you just ha- it, for me, I mean, it's, it provides that environment where I can be creative and just look out the window and just, you know, Kind of get yeah. ideas going. Yeah, yeah. So is that is that why you chose it? Because it's close to home and you feel quite creatively stimulated when you're yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, being been a been a very small business and only a few years into um, into our I guess our existence, we don't have an office yet. Um, so being able to find this place that's nice and close to home and you know with the surroundings, I think it's uh, yeah, it really hits the spot. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us a bit about your business, the, yeah, the yeah. business that you're getting going, where you come and do some work here. Yeah, so, so PVBS is what we, uh, what we do, what we run. Um, it's short for the book of Proverbs because I was reading a book called The Wealthiest Man That Ever Lived, yeah. a book all about King Solomon, which yeah. is based on the book of Proverbs. Um, and so uh, about three years ago, we started doing the school lever jackets, um, and it was kind of birthed, it was birthed organically through me presenting at a school um, wearing one of our bomber jackets and one of the kids was like that's a really cool jacket can you make one for us for next year I was like of course I can and um, so that was kind of like the genesis of it but before that two years earlier there was actually um, I was in Ghana which is where I'm from Um, I was heading to a city one day and uh, on the highway there were all these kids that were selling stuff kids as young as five and six and right there and then I was like wow like that's you know kids should be in school not on the streets um, and I knew I wanted to do something but I didn't know what it was so yeah. when this opportunity came to 
to do school leaver jackets for students in school, I thought, wow, it's a perfect opportunity. And so once I got the idea, within three months we launched, it was yeah. pretty crazy. Yeah. We had about, we had about uh, 15 schools knock us back. Only one took us up on the offer. Wow. So we started out with one school. Um, so the whole idea was this, right, was the fact that in a year 12 students are in Australia, they're blessed to have access to education. To the point, you know, where a kid wakes up in the morning and is like, no, nah, I don't feel like going to school today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, whereas you've got other parts of the world that kids have to sometimes walk, you know, two to three kilometres just to get to school. Um, and I thought, what better way than someone finishing school and their jacket is able to fund someone starting school. And so we kind of hashtag that when you finish, they start. Yeah. And... Um, so we kind of shared that around to some of the schools. And like I said, first year we had one school. Um, second year we had 17 schools um, jump on board. And then currently in our third year we've got about 37 schools at the moment. So, yeah, the idea is kind of catching on. And that's where it kind of started to, to kind of where it is now briefly. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, take us back then. You talked a little bit about the fact that you're from Ghana. Mm. Um you were born there, I take it. When, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, tell us a little bit about your early life. In Ghana. Yeah, absolutely. So my early life, um, so I was born in Ghana, 1986, uh, moved to New Zealand in 92. Yeah. Um, pretty strange country to move to, <laughs> but my dad got a job there, and so we had the opportunity to move there. Now, get this right, I, I left when I was about six, um, and when I went to Ghana, because I had no education, when I left Ghana, because I had no education, when I got to New Zealand, I couldn't understand or uh, speak English. And so I had a very, very low self-esteem simply because, you know, at, at lunch times and recesses, I'd have kids around me talking, laughing, I'd, and I'd, I'd have no idea what the heck they were talking about, whether it was about me or someone else or, you know, what was going on. And so I guess for me that was kind of like the, the, the start of, I guess, a downward, um, I don't know, downward scope on... on on, on life, perhaps, if you want to call it that. Um, but then I got a private uh, English teacher and all that kind of stuff. So in 97, we moved to Melbourne um, and uh, started school again here, I think it was year six. Yeah, year six. Um, and at this time, it was, you know, I could now speak and understand English, and I went through a lot of racial abuse. So in 97, if you think back 97, back then, there weren't any, like, Sudanese refugees or anything like that. And growing up in Ringwood, um, I was the only coloured guy at school. So it was like a big, you know, it was a big shock and to them and to me. <laughs> and that was quite different to what you experienced in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at New Zealand, at least I couldn't understand or hear what was going on. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But now I could. And, um, and I mean, there was one kid in particular, uh, one kid in particular who used to, who used to uh, pay me out a, a lot. Nice. Yeah, we've just had some uh, chips and dessert arrive, which nice. is good while we're, <laughs> we're chatting away. Yeah, um, there was one particular kid that always used to kind of pay me out, you know. And so even the book that I gave you, it's um, it's got a, it's, it's a lot about me finding out my identity, you know. Um, and so, yeah, so that was '97. So kind of overcame that a little bit. Went into high school, went to Ringwood Secondary College. Um, I was the fastest kid there. Yeah. <laughs> um, my principal used to call me Eric the Red, uh, Mr. Robinson. Um, I used to, like, I entered seven events once and I won them all. From 100, 200, 400, 800 relay. Um, Why the red? Why did he call you Eric the Red? So Eric the Red is, apparently was a Viking back in the day. Uh, yeah, 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 one of the Vikings. And he, um, he okay. won every battle that he, he, he okay. fought. 
So you call me that because I won every race. <laughs> every race. Yeah. Um, so that, that was really really cool. So at that at that age, I wanted to be I wanted to be a professional athlete one day. You know, I thought I thought I had the goods. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, especially back then, I mean, the fastest fastest man in the world was a, was a, a coloured brother. So I thought I'm in the right place. You yeah. Know? So <laughs> that was that was one of my first dreams I ever had. Um, uh, so you know, alongside the, the great stuff, there was also some bad stuff that was happening at that time. So. Uh, in trying to find my fit, I kind of found myself with the wrong group in high school and went off track and uh, yeah, ended up with that four suspensions. Um, I was meant to be expelled, but they didn't because um, I was the fastest kid. So Ringwood <laughs> Secondary College was known for two things, performing arts and athletics. Yeah. So they literally kept me in because of that. Um, and then one day in 2000, my ward was about to change. Um, so my, my dad, who my dad told me that um, you know um, he wanted me to go on a three-week holiday to Ghana, um, for three weeks, right? And I mean, at that stage, I was about 13. I'm like, I was hating school, absolutely hating school, because um, I felt I felt like I was picked on a lot by teachers and. There's also a few subjects that I wasn't doing too well in. <laughs> so I was like, holiday, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so here I was, uh, but obviously I was quite young, so I had no idea what was going on. So I had a one-way ticket, which I didn't even know like what a ticket was or yeah. anything. So I'm like, okay, cool. Um, so I get there and um, I realised that three weeks like, is actually meant to be indefinite. And um, so in the end, three weeks became seven years in Ghana. Um, wow. and, and that that shook my world. That absolutely shook my world. Um, I felt felt very isolated, you know. Um, so here I was, left Ghana to go to New Zealand. Couldn't understand English. Came back to Ghana. Forgot my like national, you know, my mother tongue. Had to unlearn my English to learn, just so I could be able to communicate with people. <laughs> and yeah. so, um, yeah, it was pretty tough, you know, in terms of um, daily routine. There's no such thing as a toilet where, where we were. Um, and so in 2002, I actually attempted suicide twice, um, which is actually recorded in my book, um, Let There Be Darkness. And so it was, it was a pretty dark period. But at the same time, it was the seven greatest years of my life. And I say that because when I left at the age of six, my, my mind couldn't comprehend what poverty was. But now when I'm 15, 16, 17, I know what poverty is, you know? And I, I see my nephews and nieces, you know, like out on the streets and, and things like that. Like I know, like it hits, it hits hard. Um, and so I guess for me at that stage, it was just an eye-opening moment in my life. And right, right there and then I wanted, to, I knew I wanted to do something to, to help people, you know? Um, and so then in 2010, when I went back, um, it just kind of, it just all came back to me. Like, you got to do something, you know, something more. And I guess at that time as well, I started re- doing research on um, Martin Luther King Jr. and a few of those people and, you know, the Henry Fords. And, and I just became really obsessed about the, the, the theme of dreams, you know, that the world that we live in today was created by the dreamers. You know, they made our world a better place. Like the cars we drive in, the airplanes we fly, the the bicycles, everything that we see today was first a dream. And so I just became fascinated with the idea that if their dreams has made the world a better place today, then what can our dreams make of the future? And man, that that when I had that like the moment I was like, I'm doing this, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so yeah, so that's that's kind of been the journey. So, you know, I'm still 
I, I speak a lot in schools and events and you know um, youth groups and things like that very very passionate about people um, finding their identity you know being themselves the journey that I went on and actually find out what they're passionate about and how that can make a difference in the world so that's yeah that's that's me <laughs> yeah that's so cool um, in terms of your identity I guess it's had so many profound influences like mm. your origins in Ghana, New Zealand, Melbourne, and then back to Ghana as yeah. well. Like when you talk to students about you know finding your identity, mm. what do you draw upon from your own experience in conveying that to them? Yeah, um, I think one of the stories that I used was um, in uh, in my early stage high school um, when I tried to fit in. Um, obviously, you know, I was surrounded by Caucasians, you know. <laughs> light skinned <laughs> brothers um, and I try to fit in so I would dress how they dressed I'd even try and talk how they talk like say mates you know <laughs> that kind of stuff but you know no matter what I try to do to fit in there was one thing that stood out that was the colour of my skin and there's nothing I could do about that unless I try to do a Michael Jackson but <laughs> I was, I was going to go down that path and so I just thought you know one thing I, sh- I share with students is you know no matter how hard you try and fit in there's always one thing there's always one distinct thing about you that you cannot change. And I'm like, that's, that's who you are. Like, embrace that. The earlier you embrace that, the more comfortable you'll be and the less you'll have to accept you know, uh, you know, recognition from other people and acceptance. And, and so that, that's definitely one, one thing that, that, that I share. The other thing I also share is um, I remember I failed, um, I failed a subject in high school and, and I associated that label to myself. So I used to refer to myself as a failure, you know. Um, but then I realized, you know, failure is never a person. Failure is only an event, you know. And I think today, today's culture, there's a lot of pressure on, on the youth. There's a lot of pressure to be this, be that, um, to study a, a particular subject or whatever. Um, and I just think that people just need to just chill out, you know what I mean? I, I, and, and just being able to share with the kids that, Life is all about failing. Like, you're going to fail. You're going to fail in relationships. Your first girlfriend most likely won't be your life partner. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, it's, um, and I'm like, just, just know that. And when that, those situations happen, don't get so caught up in it. Don't label yourself as a failure. Pick yourself up and say, no, 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 no. That was just a failed event. Mm. But I'm not, a, I'm not a failure. I'm going to pick myself up. I'm going to keep going. Yeah, you know? and uh, and one of the reasons why I'm passionate about speaking in schools is, you know, right now the biggest killer, you know, in Australia in our youth is suicide, yeah. and a lot of this is from you know lack of identity, you know, the fact that people are looked upon as you know their failures, you know, um, and so if I can kind of shift that mindset and kind of get kids thinking a little bit differently from what I've been through, then I think uh, yeah I might be able to get a few dreamers in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So your dreams that you talked about as well, they're, am I right in saying there's, there seems to be a couple. It's one about helping young people uh, understand and own their identity. Absolutely, yeah. And there seems to be another one about, um, I guess, young people around the world mm. having the opportunity to be educated and to learn. Yeah. yeah. You nailed it, man. <laughs> one of the first people that's nailed it like that. That's, that's, that's my twofold dream in, in life. It's, it's those things, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so everything that you do is centered around helping yeah. bring those two things into being. That's right. That's yeah. right. And I think I think everyone everywhere has uh, you know has a dream. 
every single person. I mean, you, you right now, you know, you, you have a dream. You know, every single person. And in terms of you know speaking to kids over here, like every single person has a dream. You know, um, but then you know you look at you look at Africa, Cambodia, those countries. Those kids have dreams too. Yeah. And so I just want to you know, coming from a small remote village in Ghana <laughs> to where I am today. I know that no matter where you're born, you have a dream. And so for me, um, I just love the fact that I can do stuff here and ignite people's dreams here, but also ignite the less for- the dreams of the less fortunate as well. Um, so yeah, those are the two things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so you started your business. Yep. For the Levers jackets, that mm-hmm. was about. When did you start that? About two years ago. Three years ago. Three years ago. It's in its third year. You were saying that. Yep. Um, you've written a couple of books. Yeah, as yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So tell yeah. us about the journey of writing the books. Yeah. Um, so we launched PVB as the retail brand in 2009. Okay. That was when we actually launched. We did a. Uh, <laughs> at the time, I was living in a rental property, um, a shared house with a swimming pool at the back. Double story house, swimming pool. So I'm like, what the heck? Let's have a launch party. So at a launch party one summer night, um, and and my people that came through were just like, you know, well done, congratulations. And and but the, the question that you know, I, that was the time I started researching the Martin Luthers and all that kind of stuff. The question that I would ask them was, like, what's your dream? You know, and a lot of them were given excuses, this and that, this and that. You know, I'm at uni, I'm this. And I, I mean, I was at I was at TAFE as well at that time. So and so um. Yeah, I was, I was, um, one day I was just inspired just to write something to tell people, hey, get up and go after your dreams. And so, to be honest, yeah, I wrote, I wrote my first book in 2010 called Let's Go Chase Your Dreams. Um, it's, it's all about overcoming the excuses in life, you know. Um, I look at my life, I, I've got, oh man, I could give you, I could give you a hundred excuses why I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, um, but I think that there comes a point in a, a point in life where you just you just overcome some stuff, and where you see you see the outcome of your dreams, which is helping people, more important than your personal fears. Once you once you're able in life to see the potential of people's lives being changed by your single act. I think it helps us to, to be able to overcome our personal fears that sometimes are actually pretty ridiculous, you know? Yeah. <laughs> if you really think about it, you know? Um, and so, so yeah, so, so I, I launched that, and that was actually what launched me into my speaking, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then, you know, recently, um, so that launched me into my speaking, and then when, through my speaking, um, so my suicide attempt in 2002, I actually never told anyone apart from my older brother never told anyone because I mean it's something that's not like it's not cool right no one wants to you know <laughs> you don't want to boast about it really. <laughs> it's yeah. not something you boast about yeah. but you know what in 2011 um, when I went around schools I, oh, there were just so many stories of kids that just wanted to give up yeah. so many stories and, and at this stage I still wasn't comfortable with sharing mine that I, hey I've been through it as well you know I still wasn't comfortable I think it was like probably late 2011 where I was like, man, I've, I've been through this for a reason and I'm alive for a reason, you know? So like why go through something, overcome it and see other people going through it and they're not overcoming and you're just sitting there like, I'm good. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, at least I got through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I think the whole purpose of overcoming is to help others overcome. 
and so so yeah so I, I knew so that, that was what kind of inspired that you know I wanted to I wanted to write something that would help teenagers especially who are struggling with identity struggling with you know um, pressures and things like that um, yeah just something to help them overcome so it's called let there be darkness um, how I transform my darkest moment into a life life transforming moment you know so it's just about looking at things differently and, and being able to I guess um, live out life you know so yeah that's that's and my, my third book is called um, take me to the king so that's that that's kind of a a, a book based on my faith um, all about David and Goliath all about David and Goliath he is he is one character that I relate to so so much so I went to Israel in 2010 yeah. so city of David uh, and that's when that's where I was inspired to write something along those lines. So, story of David and Goliath, which you, I'm sure you've probably heard, and it's thrown around yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Um, a, a, a lot of it relates to me in a sense that my seven years in Africa, I kind of relate it to David's wilderness. You know, he was one of eight siblings. I'm one of eight siblings as well. You know, so just those similarities, um, and so it's all about how a small guy that comes from a broken home right a father that's disowned him how he can overcome all those things conquer Goliath and be everything he was born to be yeah <laughs> but the fact is at that age he was 17 years when he fought Goliath so that kind of connects to my whole purpose of trying to reach teenagers you know what I mean because it's that's a prime age to be doing stuff you know, I think sometimes we think, you know, wait till you're 30, wait till you're 40, let's put, let's hold it off, you know. No, 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 as young as you are, you can make a difference. And so I'm, re- I'm really, really passionate about seeing young people rise up, overcome, smash their lives, whatever it is, smash their lives and become everything that, that they were born to become. And just, you know, without talking too much, uh, what, what I love is that, you know, when David fought Goliath, the king, who was King Saul at the time, said, hey, if you... If you kill Goliath, like, you know, you, you, you'll get this, 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 and that. Now, that was stuff that was personal for David. So it's personal gain, right? But Goliath said to him, if you kill me today, we'll become, you know, we'll become your servants. And at that time, the nation of Israel was servants to the Philistines. So they were in slavery. So his fight was more than about himself but it was about the freedom of his nation. There was something also said about how his family would be exempt from taxes. Like, there was just all of this stuff. And so David stood up to fight for people and to help set people free. And I love that. I love that story. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the three books. Yeah, awesome, man. <laughs> so what, I mean, what I'm most interested, well, I'm interested in all three of your books, but mm. I'm interested in what sort of response in particular you're getting from people that read the... Um, yeah, Let There Be Darkness book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Let There Be Darkness is actually, the way I've laid the book out, um, there's, I think, uh, four, three stories in total. The first story is my brother-in-law, second story is myself, and third story is Martin Luther King Jr. The first story about my brother-in-law, he, um, he got cancer at the age of 11. Um, so the first response I've gotten from people being chapter one, <laughs> you know, is, hey man, like, I know someone that's been through cancer, and I know how hard it was, you know, um, so that's, that's a response that I get a lot, um, and, and I kind of journey, 
I kind of share that story about how, as an 11 year old, he's sitting there and the doctor's like, you know, this is what's going to happen. You can choose this or you can choose that. And my brother, at the age of 11, said, yep, let's do it. He chose to, f- to face something that could have been, you know, so tragic. Um, instead of running away from it, you know. And it's funny because I think I've had this thought the other day, you know, when you're a young kid, you run away from stuff. You know, it's all about, you know, hide and seek, you run. It's all about running. But it's almost like when, you, when we grow up, it's like we're, we're still running away from things. You know, we run away from whether it's a passion or a dream or we'll run away from you know, whether it's even responsibilities. I find that like a lot of us, including myself, we, it's so easy to run away from the things in life that are challenging, that are hard, yeah. you know? So talk a little bit about being able to face things that you just need to face, you know? Um, so that's, that's definitely one thing that a lot of people have, have, um, have commented about. Um, yeah, Let There Be Darkness, so many different responses. Um, obviously, my story as well, it's not me- like I said, you know, it was not until, until 2011 that I started sharing my story of my suicide attempt. So not many people knew. Yeah. So everyone's like, wow, I, that was you? Like, because obviously I'm a very, you know, upbeat, up-tempo, motivation. Yeah, yeah, very joyful, happy person, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So like, really, you went through that? And, yeah. and I think there's, there's beauty, in, beauty in that, you know? Because people see that, wow, like you were at once at such a dark place, but now look at you. Yeah. You know, you're so... Sorry, keep going. Yeah, no, you can go. I was just going to say, um, there is such power in talking about the, the untalkable. Yeah. And I'm part of a men's group okay. uh, called the Men's Collective that gets together every fortnight. And right. I think there's, you know, there's a few men's groups that seem to be popping up around the place, but mm. we talk about things that you know, people don't normally talk about. Talk about, yeah. And there's one guy in particular that helps facilitate the group. His name is Jimmy. And the way he's able to talk about naturally things that happen in his own life that and put him you know and some of the personal development courses that he's been through that are yeah. quite out there and extreme but he doesn't talk about them in the way that sort of says you should do this because I've done it yeah or you know you should be like this because I am he talks about it like this is what's happened to me yeah. and I'm okay in talking about it it's mm. not normal that we talk about this stuff it might be a bit weird but I know that in talking about it mm. it liberates everybody else who's probably saying yeah I do that too it is pretty weird (laughs) isn't it absolutely yeah so you know and suicide is one of those things it's not really talked about and Mm. a lot of those dark thoughts that particularly probably teenagers have and young Mm. men have yeah um, yeah. and in shining the light it does probably set a lot of people free and give them that I'm not alone Kind yeah, of that's it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you get a lot of kids coming up to you and saying, "Yeah, yeah. a lot." <laughs> yeah, um, a lot of kids, and like you, like you rightly said, it's you know, it's not even just the teenagers; it's the you know, the young adults. It's you know, right through. It's actually the statistic is actually right through to forty-five. It's the number one killer, right through to forty-five. So you got you know, you got men that you know, unfortunately, middle life crisis or you know, a relationship that went downhill and the whole all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, just ran. This is really random, but just yesterday I was reading. Um, I, I love the NBA. I follow the NBA. Yeah. I was reading, reading how one of the commentators was actually the one that talked um, Dennis Rodman out of committing suicide in 1993. Uh, I'm not sure if you know Dennis Rodman. Yeah, absolutely. Know yeah, Dennis yeah. Know yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know, and and so it's. I think it's. Um, it's not. It's. It's something. You know, depression and that kind of stuff. It's. I, I don't think it's a respecter of who you are. It doesn't really. Doesn't really care who you are. You know what I mean. Yeah. So, 
right from you know kids young right through to 45 through people experiencing and going through all sorts of stuff that yeah. if you know if some of us can speak up about it I think would be really cool I mean, it is obviously a really important topic and there could be some people here listening to this that might be struggling with this kind of thing. So, you know, in all seriousness, if, if people are listening and they're struggling with this, what, what should they do? You know, what are some of the things that are available to them? Yeah. You know, what do you say to people that come up to you and say you struggle with something similar to that? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, there's some great organisations out there doing some phenomenal work. So you've got Beyond Blue. So they Google Beyond Blue. There's a, there's a number they can call someone to speak to. Um, Lifeline is another one as well. They can call Lifeline and, and speak to someone, um, you know, who's, who's ready to listen to them. Um, but also just, just some key practical tips is, uh, is, is don't, don't be in isolation. Because I think sometimes those... Uh, I, had a, I had a friend, a preacher friend say that, you know, the enemy works best... In two, in two conditions one in, in dark places you know like a secret place um, two in isolation when, when, when you're in isolation um, so if, if, if you can do everything you can like get out and as you were saying before you know, join a group join a men's group join a men's group join, join a youth group join some sort of group that you know people can people, you can be accountable to someone you can talk to someone about um, for me I, I was in isolation that, that, that's where it, it got to you know um, so if you can find that's, that's definitely one of my biggest practical tips um, get yourself around people um, mentors and things like that um, I think too um, it's you know a, a lot of it is, is about the mindset so I definitely, you know, encourage people to, to, to read things that are encouraging, you know. So perhaps put down the Harry Potter book and pick up a, you know, you know for namesake, pick up an Anthony Robbins book or, <laughs> yeah. or even a book by, uh, by my friend um, da- Daniel Flynn from Thank You or, yeah, you know, um, read stuff that's, that's inspiring, you know. Read stuff that will uplift you, that will bring you up. Um, and then, yeah, I think the last thing, practical again, this was probably contradictory to my second point, get around people, is get away from people. So people that put you down, people that, you know, just talk bad about you, people that bully you on the, on the internet and just block those people. You don't need them in your life. Like, to be honest, you can find other negativity in life if you're looking for it, let alone have someone, you know, that's in your life, that's just sucking the life out of you. Um, so just disconnect from those people, you know, just move yourself away um, and, and find some other groups of people that, that are encouraging, that believe in you and, and will cheer you on. So those are my, I think, my four practical tips. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's really good. And I'm, I'll make sure that there's some links to some of those resources that you yeah. mentioned in the, the show notes that we publish yeah. as well. For yeah, people absolutely. In case yeah. I just want to cut back for a second to the jackets a little bit. So there, you had a retail outlet, now you're doing the levers jackets. Do you see some kind of expansion for what you're doing there? Like, is there more than schools that you Yeah, you yeah, absolutely. With? So we, we've... Um, We've had some uh, corporates approach us, so we've, we've done some stuff for a few corporate um, uh, startup companies, which is pretty cool. Some really funky jackets um, with their logo and, and a nickname on the back for them. So that's really cool. Um, yeah, so we just we're, you know we're, we're seeing that kind of side open up as well, which we're really excited about. Um, as you know, as we're a startup ourselves, you know, it's yeah. kind of cool that um, fellow startups you know will embrace something that we're doing as well. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. 
And are you finding that people really, like students and corporates and the startups you're working with, are they really identifying with what you're trying to do through the social enterprise as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, t- to be honest, because of the customised nature of our staff, like the kids love it. They absolutely love it. Like having their own name on a jacket. So when, when, once they receive it, they're already like stoked about it. Um, but I think also their social causes just, just adds a level of depth to it. Um, and, you know, I think it's also pretty cool because in the schools, students are already learning about this kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, students are doing like We've had a few students who've actually approached us to do an assignment on our social course. Um, so it kind of really ties in really well with, you know, with, with their studies and stuff like that and the curriculum as well. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a perfect fit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and what sort of impact have you had? In, I mean, you've only been around for three years, but yeah, what yeah. sort of impact are you starting to see? Yeah, yeah. so we've been to Cambodia about three times now um, to actually see some of the projects. Uh, we've been able to donate, I think it's uh, just, it just under $25,000 We've been able to donate in uh, in three years, yeah. uh, so that's that's provided education for um, for just over two thousand children wow. in uh, in Ghana and also Cambodia. Um, also, really cool story: Ghana, where I'm from, uh, there's two seasons: there's the summer and the and the rainy season. Um, and one school that we're working with, they don't actually um, they didn't have a a, a tin roof; they just had like leaves, just done. Um, so in the rainy season, there's no school. So the kids literally go to school six, uh, six, half of the year. Um, so last year we were able to fund the construction of a tin roof. Um, and also instead of the mud floors, um, we are able to concrete the floors for them as well, which is really, really cool. So now you've got you know, about 100 kids that can go to school all year round. Um, so that's really, really cool. Um, and also, I mean, one of the reasons why we work in Cambodia is because Cambodia is probably one of the most trafficked um, countries in the world as in sexual trafficking. Um, And for a girl to be in the classroom, it's just a safer place than for her to be anywhere else. You know, it just reduces that risk significantly. Um, Because uh, to be honest, you know, uh, Nelson Mandela said, um, education is the most powerful weapon you can use to change the world. And I think a lack of education is what brings up some of the issues we have in society today, whether it's you know trafficking, child labour, all these issues, simply because kids are not given education. Yeah. You know, so I think if we can tackle education and try and provide ways of getting kids to school, I think we're halfway to solving some of the world's problems. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we're currently working with our charity partners, um, working with YGAP, um, Classroom of Hope, and also the Aka project, which is based in Ghana. So there's our three charity groups that we work with yeah. as well. So yeah, awesome. Mm. Yeah, I've got a couple of questions to as we start to wrap up. Yeah, You're go for it. Obviously, a dreamer, and and you've got two really powerful dreams there that you're mm. pursuing. Is there something outside of those that you perhaps daydream about? Perhaps it's a distant, faint thought at the moment, but you dream about getting involved with or disrupting someday in the future. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, oh, I don't know how much of that I can say. <laughs> um, look, I, I, I'd love to... Um, one thing that... Um, a couple of years ago, I went to Cambodia um, and went, went through a few villages and saw where people were living. Um, and, man, it is, it is crazy, um, especially with 
um, the flooding over there um, and the problems that it causes, like you know, mosquitoes and all that kind of malaria, all that kind of stuff. And you know, these families don't really have a place to live. Like, you've got a small hut and you've got about six, seven people living in there. And I'm like, wow, that's that's ridiculous, you know. So yeah, one day I'd love to. Some sort, I don't know, maybe something to do with real estate that, you know, helps build stuff overseas. I'd love to do something like that. Yeah. Absolutely love to know that people can can find a place to put, you know, to, to put their, lay their head at night. I'd yeah. love, absolutely love to be a part of something like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that and I guess, you know, man, just, you know, making some caramel babies with my beautiful Middle Eastern wife. Like, that's... <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's, that's kind of... The real estate stuff is something I'm, I'm very, uh, very interested in, and every now and then I you know, dream about it. But yeah, um, yeah. No, no, probably not not now. Later on. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. And the final question I ask is about yourself, and what's a subtle thing that you've done in your own life that's been uh, or had a big impact on the trajectory of your life when, once you started doing it. Um, the one thing that I've done. Yeah, like a subtle. What's a subtle practice or subtle change that you've made that? Yeah. You know, uh, might be interesting for listeners to hear, or something that they could perhaps start to incorporate into their own life. Yeah, interested in being on a, a similar kind of journey to what you've been yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. To, to to be honest, what what really got me going and really got me started in business, honestly, was reading books. So I went through a phase where I read a book every single week, and it was until I came across a book called Failing Ford by my favorite author, John C. Maxwell. He's, the guy's written about 100 books. He's got this one book called Failing Ford. And that was a catalyst for me starting PVBS. Like, seriously, if you read that book, it'll smash out all your fears. <laughs> your fear of failure, your fear of whatever, it'll smash it all out. And to be honest, um, that, that really shaped, you know, that really, because that inspired me to also write books as well. Yeah. And inspired me to start PVBS, start writing books. And also, throughout the book, he had like all these quotes you know, and, and sometimes, you know, quotes, sometimes they cli- they sound cliche, but if you really just apply it to your life, it actually works, you know, and I found that was, and so then somewhere along the line, I kind of came up with, uh, I think it's my own quote, where, uh, which I live my life by, is, um, is between your mother's womb and your tomb, what will your dash be, you know, and it's, it's that constant reminder every morning when I get up. You know what? What? What is? What am I doing today? That's gonna, that's gonna define my dash. What am I doing today that future generations are gonna be like? Wow, you know. What am I doing today? It's gonna make someone's better, someone's life better. And so, between your mother's womb and your tomb, what will your dash be? And what will your legacy and your purpose be? So, yeah, yeah that's the one that I've done. Very <laughs> good. That's awesome, man. Thanks, man. Thanks thank for you. coming on with the show. Thanks for yeah. talking so openly about your journey as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Subtle Disruptors. I hope you got something out of it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, including any suggestions you have for guests. You can get me on email through adam at subtledisruptors.com. And if you enjoyed listening and would like to be part of getting the word out about the Subtle Disruptors of Melbourne, a great way to do this is through jumping into iTunes and rating and reviewing this podcast. I'm Adam Murray, and I look forward to hearing about your own Subtle Disruption. Bye for now.